0: Jesus told his followers they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Wow, that was crazy. And so many went away and followed him no more, the scripture says. But then he asked his closest friends, the 12, if they too would leave him. And they answered, where else can we go? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, sometimes we find ourselves not understanding this process, this life, this pain and suffering. And maybe we feel stuck sometimes, wondering where our God is, wondering if he's lost sight of us. Does he even know what we're going through? We don't understand his words. We don't understand his plan. And we have to ask ourselves the question, but where else can we go? God does have a plan, and part of that plan involves this story. This story talks about this mist of darkness. All of us have to walk through it. There's pain, there's temptation, there's fiery darts being hurled at us from the adversary. But it's a story that's written out. It's a story that we know is going to take place. It doesn't catch God by surprise at all. And beyond this mist of darkness, beyond it lies a tree, That tree contains fruit, most precious. It says it's white above white, sweet above sweet, pure above pure. It was created to fill every need in our deepest soul that we will never hunger or thirst again. And we were created to partake of that fruit. It doesn't make the mist of darkness any easier, or does it? Join us as we discuss this and more, and as we contemplate the question during those times in life when we feel like maybe we're stuck, where else can we go? Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hello, and welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity. We welcome you into that conversation. How you doing, Corey? I'm well. How are you, Mike? I'm doing good. It's been a little bit, and we are back here in the studio at Independence, the cottage. And we are here to talk about the things of eternity. Um, Corey, I wanted to just uh, this morning or today say that... Um, I've never mentioned this, but at the end of the uh, every podcast, there's a song that plays. It's a song I wrote quite a while ago, uh, actually, because my wife and I were dating. And um, there's a line in there that goes, you know, I cannot laugh and I will not cry. And so it goes on and on and on mm-hmm. and on. And it was this point in every relationship, you know, I think maybe people get to, I was working with my wife, and um, you know she wasn't a member of the church, and um, you know there was just a lot of differences, but there was this tremendous bond that was growing between us. And I, I remember one day I was in the pharmacy, uh, in the emergency room where we both worked, and I just put my head down on the counter, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is terrible." And my manager was in there, and she goes, "What is wrong with you?" I said, this is never going to turn out right. And I said, and I'm going to be stuck then having to work with this woman. And you know, we're going to see each other every day and I'm going to have to change jobs because I won't be able to handle it. And she's, I know I had gone all the way down to the very end and figured how everything was going to turn out. And she goes, why don't you think this will work out? I just say, because it never works out. (laughs) And so. As we were dating, I wrote this song, and, and that line really meant mm. um, I couldn't walk away from her mm. because I was so attached, but I didn't think it was gonna work out. And so when that line says, "I can't laugh, but I'm not gonna cry, it was just it was all about being caught in the middle mm. in this place where there's nowhere else to go. I can't, I can't stop this process. I have to see it through no matter what. And so that's where that fun little song, I mean, it's that kind of an 80s throwback. I did that on purpose and threw the synthesizer in just for fun and all that. But, um, You're, you know, <laughs> and I have to say, because people can't see what goes on here.
1: I mean, Mike obviously works on many levels in life where he's in his song. He's got these, these deep meanings from his own life that come through in words, but just as we record this, I mean, I, I'm free to look at my scriptures or look up a scripture on the internet or just think and look at the ceiling. And Mike is <clears throat> calm, cool, and collected, and he's got this mixing board, and he's got the mic controls, and he's he's making notes, and he's doing all this kind of stuff that you guys can't see, and Mike's just amazing. So carry on. As you <laughs> well, I appreciate <laughs>
0: that. I wanted The reason I brought that up is because this week, Corey, <laughs> I kind of, um, I, th- I believe that, That is also a lot like our walk with Jesus. And there was a point in the scriptures when um, Jesus was telling his followers, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have Mm. no part of me. Mm. And it says that many of them turned away and just thought that that was the most creepiest, weirdest thing they'd ever heard. And they left and they're like, what are you talking about? Right. And then... Something said to the effect of, you know, are you guys going to leave to, you know, or to his closest followers? And they said, Lord, where, where else would we go? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, Corey, about you, but I feel like if I was going to sum up my entire Christian walk from as far back as I can remember, um, it would be that kind of in-between place. It's, it's painful, and there's times when you just wonder, is this true? Does this God really love me? And yet at the same time, it's like I have to see it through. I, where else am I going to go? Mm-hmm. There is nothing else that even offers a glimpse of hope that I read about in the Scriptures. Mm. And yesterday... I Don't know, uh, people. I'm kind of weird. I get on these things uh, for some reason. I fell in love with fountain pens a few months ago, and, uh, <laughs> I and love didn't cl- transfer over to me, though. You, you get, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, like, I, I can't even read my own handwriting. Uh, but, uh, the one day I said, like, Corey, try this pen out, you know, and <laughs> it looked you like a up second for girl. all of like hey, 0.3 it. seconds. You're, and you threw it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looked like a three year old <laughs> with a crayon, yeah, you know? yeah, but uh. <laughs> I found this great love for fountain pens, and so I went from having a fountain pen to like twenty. Right, I just like go overboard. I'm <laughs> That's like, yeah, Mike, right? yeah, yeah. And um, but I've been drawing with them, and and my wife said something really wise, and and I said, "Boy," she said, "Why don't you just use those to draw? You know, anything about God or thoughts, or just write." And you know, and so last night I just started writing, Corey. I just started writing truth that I knew from the Word of God. I just started mm. writing, and so I, I wrote the name Jesus, and then I wrote um, about the fruit of the tree of life and that it's the only thing that satisfies the soul. It's the only thing that quenches our thirst, that that feeds us when we're hungry, and, and will meet every single need, every single want and desire that we have. And mm. I, I tried in my terrible artistic way, very jealous of my brother Adam Guard. I tried to draw a picture of a tree with this fruit hanging down and you know, as bad as it was, it ministered to me and it was a truth. The thing is, and as we talked about it, I can't say in my life, there's been very many times when um, I've experienced what the, what the word says about that fruit. Mm -hmm. And that's, The hard part, I think, when we suffer in this world and, you know, and when we see other people suffering and we wonder, this isn't what the story says, you know, or is it? And Or is it? Or is it? And when I woke up this morning, it was so weird. Last night I was focused on that fruit and like wondering why I don't have peace and why I don't feel every need met and why I don't have this. This lovely experience that Lehi had when he partook of it. This morning when I woke up, my mind was drawn immediately to the story prior to that. Um, and it was about the people that were walking. They were walking through mists of darkness, which says are the, are the temptations and, and those things that want to blind our eyes. In last episode, we talked a lot about truth and having a love for truth. Those mists of darkness want to blind our eyes so we can't see truth, and they want to harden our hearts so that we don't want to accept truth. Those are the temptations of Satan, and and, and it doesn't say how long you're on that path. Interesting. No, no, it never does. But it does say that it's a period of time, and some people wander off. Some people get lost, it says, on broad paths, but some people continue. And I saw something that I didn't see before. I reread it today. Uh, when Lehi talks about it, it says they came and partook of the fruit. When Nephi asked the angel, like to get the interpretation, and it was actually the spirit. It said in the form of a man, whatever you think that is, Jesus, or. But when Jesus, when when Nephi wants it to be explained a little more, he sees it, and when he says is, when they approached the tree, they fell down, mm. and partook of the fruit, mm. and I thought, why would someone fall down to eat fruit? Mm because I think he was seeing that it represented the love of God, which was shed abroad in the hearts of men. And and it was also talking about Jesus Christ coming down and being among us. Mm -hmm. So I realized that, um, it says you have to hold on to that rod of iron, which is the word of God. And that doesn't mean that you read your scriptures every day and, and look at black ink on paper. It means you think about what the Lord's explained in those words, what he's trying to tell you, and you either believe it as truth and exercise faith in it, or you don't. Or you don't. Yeah, or you don't. And and that is the story of all mankind. And so, when we are in this space where you can't laugh because you're not feeling great, but darn it, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to mm-hmm. walk away. Mm-hmm. And I'm just gonna. I'm just stuck in this middle ground, and it stinks. What can I do? Well, get back in the Word. Hold on to the truth. Exercise faith. Just like those disciples who's standing on that shore in Capernaum
1: when uh, Jesus says, what about you guys, like you said? They said, where else are we going to go? You have the word of life. And what's interesting about their response in that moment, it's just like you're saying now. Jesus had the word of life, and they had an inkling that he had the word of life, but it still wasn't like abundantly present in the apostles' or disciples' lives, right? I mean, they're like... They're struggling just like mm-hmm. we are, right? Mm-hmm. And they realize, hey, he's the source. We can't turn away. But it wasn't like it was fully manifest. And and that's the there, there's a there's a beautiful passage that's so totally different than anything we experience in the Book of Mormon when Jesus is there and they're partaking communion. And and at one point in time, he has them bring the bread and wine. Another point in time, he brings the bread and wine. But what's interesting is is this and I only found it by kind of studying the Hebrew poetry part of this, but it says that Jesus takes the cup and he wants the multitude to drink, and it says, and and the the disciples drank of it and they were filled, and then they give it to the multitude and they drink of it and they're filled, and and it's like that being filled wasn't just I don't it wasn't meaning hey they handed gallons out and everyone was just sloshy mm-hmm. full <laughs> that that this this partaking of. Jesus Christ, the the willingness to serve him was so full that they felt full. Because, you know, there's a couple things about communion, just just to tie in this point that I've realized we, we haven't done right in our life. And this gets back to this point you're saying, you know, always kind of in the middle. In the old days of the Old Testament a sacrifice was made you know daily literally in the temple but but then there was this annual sacrifice to atone for the sins of all the people and and if anybody knew it the the house of israel and and the jews knew that there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood that that had to happen but <clears throat> when we take communion and this is kind of point number 1 is i've realized we don't take it because even though we say this it's not in the scriptures it's we don't go to communion to have our sins forgiven we're we're forgiven when we repent and and but what what I'm what the point of communion is comes right back to what you're saying what Jesus says and <clears throat> this is in the scriptures he says in 3 Nephi 8:39 after the disciples had given this communion to the people and they were full i mean they were spiritually full because Jesus is in their presence that's the difference he says, blessed are you for doing this, for this is fulfilling my commandments. And this doth witness unto the Father that you are willing to do that which I have commanded you. And that part, that you are willing to do that which I have commanded you, that jumped out at me when I read that because it, it made me realize, all my life I've been told, <clears throat> oh, you're you're renewing your baptismal covenant. Well, that doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. I've been told, oh, I'm taking this communion for forgiveness of sin. That actually doesn't say it. There's a pattern in the Old Testament, but when Jesus fulfilled that, He is the forgiveness of sin. What we're doing is we're saying exactly what you're saying, Mike. When I take this communion, I'm willing to get back in the fight. I'm gonna keep trying. I'm gonna mm. I've I've been falling down, Lord, but you know what? I'm gonna get up again because I see that you have the word of life. And I haven't been perfect necessarily. <clears throat> I'm not talking about the unworthiness or making things right with my brother. I'm just saying. Living in a fallen world, communion is the thing I believe that the Lord has given us, so we can say to Him, Lord, I'm going to keep trying again. I'm going to keep. I'm going to get up. You know, I've got knocked down seven times. I'm getting up eight. I'm. I'm going to keep trying because that's what Jesus said it's about. He says, and this witnesses to the Father that you are willing to do that which I have commanded you.
0: You know, um, when you look at the scriptures, Corey, do you? Um... <laughs> You know, like you you see this uh, vision, you know, and Lehi partakes of the fruit, or you, you read a story where people are so overcome by the Spirit that they fall down. Um, do you ever read those? Or, or or, even, you know, to bring it home into the here and now, you know, you're in a prayer service or a testimony service, and you hear someone stand up and just testify about, you know, the greatness of God and how His Spirit's touch them and, and how much love they have. and And sometimes you're not feeling it, and it's like, God, why, why me? Why, Mm -hmm. why, why am I not? And I think each one of us, at least we go to that place where it's like, well, am I doing something wrong? Have I done some forbidden sin? Um, Have I uh, committed the unpardonable sin? I've even had young people wonder about that, you know, in question. Have I, am I just not, do I just not have the stuff, you know, that's going to land me in the kingdom with you? Um, and I think it's only the, the providence of God and his all knowingness that for each person, you know, he's trying to refine us for each person. He gives daily bread to those who ask, but what that bread is, is not always uh, a warm, fuzzy feeling. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it says he chastens those he loves. Sometimes that daily bread um, could be a spanking man, you know, yeah. uh, it could be a, um, a he ch- chastens those yeah. he loves. Right. And then we look at our lives and like, well, but God, I'm trying to do everything right. How long, you know, how long until I get just a crumb, just a, just a, just a taste of your glory. And, mm. and, and perhaps he's looking at us and saying, well, how long until that's what you really want above <laughs> all else? You know, I don't yeah. know, but, but, We don't know how long that path is. It doesn't ever say that. It just talks about this path. It talks about holding on as you walk to the rod of iron. It tells you that there's going to be mists and darkness and darts and things coming at you. And it's going to tell you that you can get lost and wander off into the broad road. And so we all have to say, where else am I going to go? Am I going to go to the broad road? Yeah. Or am I just going to continue on as much as it hurts, as much as I'm in that gray zone, you know, in between laughing and crying, I'm stuck here because I have to see it through. And um, I think having good fellowship with friends and brothers and sisters in the faith and being more willing to confess our sins to one another really is a a spiritual band-aid for the soul that we realize Um, that we aren't alone and that maybe we're not as evil as we think we are and that we all struggle. You know, you and I have have shared so long, Corey, in the last few years, and I'm still amazed, even as our relationship grows and you share with me, uh, you know, some of the things you struggle with. And I'm like, really? I'm like, I thought I was the only one, right? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, You know,
1: this uh, scripture jumped out at me. Well, I two of them actually this week. And it's just, you know, things you learn in root looking up other things, I suppose. But, um, you know, Paul talks about, and this isn't actually the scripture, but it just came to mind. Paul asks this question in the New Testament and he says, Hey, why do you think it's, you act strange about this fiery trial, he calls it, uh, as if some strange thing happened to you. And that's actually the language of the New Testament. I'm, I'm going to look up the scripture here, because he says, uh, he literally says, um, beloved, uh, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That's first Peter four, 12. He said, Hey, don't, he said, you know, don't think it's strange concerning this life you're going through. Like, Hey, something's weird with me. You know, I'm not <laughs> feeling it or whatever. And it's like, you know, He says this. He says, But rejoice in as much as you're partakers in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory be revealed, that you could also be glad with exceeding joy. You know, to me, that's almost saying, Hey, you're going to be glad in the day you're saved. Until then, it's a struggle, right? Mm. You know, um, there's a word that jumped out, and this was the scripture I was going to actually mention. The word is inflict. And, you know, inflict is always a word that. I guess the connotation to me is, hey, you know, someone's going to do something bad to someone else and inflict some pain. Mm-hmm. It, it carries a negative connotation, right? You know, we don't inflict Christmas presents on, on Christmas <laughs> morning, right? Um, but Benjamin, King Benjamin says this, and this is in the earliest version of the Book of Mormon, Mosiah chapter 1, verse 120. And he's talking about how this natural man, we, us, in our state is an enemy to God and has been since the beginning. You know, we are crossways with God in our natural state. But then he says this, and this is verse 120, but if he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and puts off the natural man and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord and becometh as a child submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love. And here's, here's the punchline. "'Willing to submit to all things "'which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, "'even as a child does submit to his father.'" That was strong
0: language to me.
1: I mean, what do you think? I mean, Mike, do like, you think of God inflicting stuff on No, you? that's—you know
0: what else? You just read that, and, and just based on what we've been talking about, I see that as a great scripture that we talked about. What's my work? What's God's work? Hey, right there, yeah. man. That's all tied up in one. So our work, it says, willing to submit, willing to accept what God inflicts on you, but it doesn't say— Willing to make yourself perfect by doing all kinds of good things. It says you're willing to submit. You're willing to take the you know what he inflicts on you. And then it says what about it says you become a saint by what? Yeah, through the, the atonement. The atonement of Jesus. Right. So he gives you the righteousness. Yes. You just say, Do to me what you will, Lord. I'm willing to submit and I'm not gonna go anywhere else. There is no other place to go. I don't understand, but I'm willing to submit and and even that becoming as a child to me in that scripture, it's almost like that's part of Jesus' work. I mean, we can't we can't wake up tomorrow and say I'm no longer an enemy to God. You, you know. know? <laughs> you know
1: what? Oh man, Mike, so many things uh, that you just said. Um, you know, I, I considered something this week. We we, we have so much of Alma Junior's words in the Book of Mormon. You know, from the you know second or third chapter on, it's him. And his dad was the baptizer, and his dad had the great testimony of baptizing in the wilderness. And no doubt, Alma was baptized, obviously. You never hear about that, though, Mm -hmm. that day. And what's interesting is he calls a lot of people to be baptized. But when he talks about his own experience, he talks about the day when his heart changed, which means what you just said. He talks about the day when he says, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want to do, you want me to do. You know, and that change is bringing it all the way back to what you started this uh episode out with, is you know, this is what it means. This is what it means to take on the name of Christ. This is what it means, is when we say, Hey, this is the day when I've made up my mind, I'm gonna be different. I wanna do it differently.
0: So I always look at like this great day in the future where I'm just swarmed by this warm light and this love and this fruit. And, and I'm like, Oh man, I feel the spirit. I'm in the spirit. I just love everybody. And maybe what that day looks like is I am completely willing to take whatever you give me, Lord. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's, 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 that's a different perspective. You know, that's uh, and that's what communion means. I'm able to give up. I'm able to give up everything. For you, I just want you more than anything else in this world. I just want you, and so yes, this, you know whatever you got to do to me,
1: you know. And and this is another reason I love the Book of Mormon so much for what you just said because on the, on the flip side of this, um, the work of the adversary is not sugar coated. It's not like hey, once you come and and give your life to Christ, everything's good now. You know, just wait for that judgment day. I, this jumped out at me. What the same word inflict? Uh, this language was even more direct in in the Book of Helaman, chapter two, um, in in this discourse um, that we're finding. You know, Helaman's talking to his sons, and he's saying this: "Now, my sons, remember, remember that it's upon the rock of our Redeemer, which is Christ, the Son of God, that you must build your foundation." And here he goes, giving the straight story to his sons that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind. You know, we're talking, he's picturing a tornado here. And when all of his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it says it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which you are built. The sure foundation, a foundation, if men build, they won't fall. And, and so it's like he's saying Satan is going to throw a barrage of everything at you in your life every day. I mean, you can expect it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying.
0: You know what's crazy, Corey? If, if you look at our culture today, um, we, we were talking a while back. I don't think on on air, but you and I were talking a while back about the justice of Christ uh, versus social justice. Oh, yeah. and how social justice can become, which, well, it is. It's such a lie and it's such a false fabrication of the truth. So we're here talking about submitting to God, that, you know, being willing to submit to whatever he inflicts upon us. And yet our culture today, you know, is almost this place where nobody deserves to have anything inflicted on them mm-hmm. and nobody deserves to have their feelings ever hurt. And, um, you know, and the best thing you can do is to become involved in making sure that everything's equal and that there's, you know, to alleviate pain and suffering. And, I, and, and I'm not saying that. Um,
1: but that's a good point. Keep going, but brother. Because yeah. that
0: becomes a religion to people. Right. And that's like, um, no, everything's equal. You know, we all, we you know, whether it's the socialistic, you uh, um, powers that be that are trying to change the country or whether it's uh, like what's happened in Canada where uh, you're no longer, uh, it's against the law to even say certain things that may hurt someone's feelings. Okay, so just
1: on on that point, I just read an article this week. I don't know the details of it other than I heard the outcome that there was, you know, this isn't Canada here. We're in the United States here. But in, in the United States where a jury awarded a plaintiff $10 million because the plaintiff in his work environment was told by a coworker to, or maybe it was a supervisor that he was being too flamboyant in his lifestyle. And I'm not even going to comment on lifestyle, but he just needed to tone it down a little. And so that was a $10 million crime. $10 million. (laughs) So, so, and, and this is see, and here's, here's the reason I share this. And it's, I, I think you're probably going here too the fact is that environment we live in is not preparing us to be disciples of jesus cuz jesus said no they're going to throw this stuff at you and you turn the other cheek right mm-hmm. and 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 this this idea that i if i'm offended i need to get even i can't be offended and jesus is saying you're going to get offended get used mm-hmm. to it right
0: mm-hmm. yeah we the justice that god you know you talked about mercy and justice um, a couple episodes ago the justice of jesus isn't about getting even and if you think of any any person on this history of the world that had more of a reason to he never sinned he never did one thing wrong to anyone he never said a cross word to anyone you know he never even had a thought of trying to hurt someone or to be angry with someone. He was the perfect man, and yet he suffered so much. He suffered so much, and he took it all, and it just didn't. I can't imagine watching, for those that walked with him and lived with him for years, to watch him be whipped and beat and suffer and die on a cross like we don't even get that. I mean, it looks terrible to us. Yeah. The movies do a good job, but but back then that was like the dregs of humanity. That was the it wasn't the Roman soldiers that died that way. It was right. the the underlings, the you know, the the people that had no defense and they were strung up on a cross for everybody to laugh at and mock and and here was this guy that they knew to be nothing but good, looking at him up there. Mm-hmm. What in the world? Is that justice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's not justice, but Jesus talks to us about a different kind of justice. And and, and he says because of that, because of that, that is the, the ultimate state of humanity, that they will kill their God, that they will turn on the very one who's the source of love, and that is the spirit of mankind and always will be the spirit of mankind. And unless you're willing to submit to me and allow me to just— fill you with my spirit, that's the end result right there. And so, you know, mankind, the flesh, deserves to die. It's an enemy to God, and justice says that's going to happen. You, you, and you've been so good at showing that there is no way around that and that only mercy can claim that person. And that mercy comes, as that scripture you just read, to willing to submit, yielding to whatever God inflicts on you, Then the atonement of Jesus Christ will save you. You know,
1: today, uh, just spent some time this morning studying, and and I always think, man, I'm just going in so many different directions. And then I get here with you, Mike, and I think, man, there was a reason for (laughs) it all. You know, um, you you talk about our work and and what is our work, and, and this willingness to change is our work. This willingness to endure suffering is our work. And in this kind of study time I had earlier today, I I found there's a couple scriptures that all of a sudden were were just like, boom, I saw them in a totally different way. One of them is this scripture here. So here's the verse. It's from 2 Nephi seven forty, verse 40. And it's one of these things where I just have to say, I was searching for other words and trying to find some patterns because when you find repeated patterns, it's usually some form of the poetry or the chiasm and all this. But all of a sudden, in in doing this, and doing this many times now over the last few weeks, I'm realizing that when you find these poetic structures, they're intended to clarify meaning. And so when I when you find the the poem and the parallels that could either be similar or contrast, that if you pick those up, they teach things. And so here's one of the points I, I, that taught me something. What is our work? This scripture says, cheer up your hearts. Remember, we're free to act for ourselves. And here's a contrast. We can choose everlasting death or the way of eternal life. That's verse 40. And then verse 41 says, wherefore, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil in the flesh. Right, so so our our well, let me. I'll just finish. So he says, "Reconcile yourselves to the will of God, not to the will of the devil and the flesh." And verse forty two, and remember that after you are reconciled unto God, that it is only through the grace of God that you are saved. And and so the parallel here is reconciling our will, because he's saying you can if you reconcile your will to the devil, you're just of the world, you're gonna follow the ways of the world. But if you've reconciled your will to God, that's your work because that's when grace kicks in. That's when salvation kicks in. And what we've confused in our world is this idea that, oh, I'm working up to my salvation. I hope I make it far enough to celestial, you know, uh and, and you know we've had this conversation before and I only want to bring that up in this context because I think we might diminish the beauty of this. But the point it makes is, is beautiful, and it's played out in another scripture. We have a choice, and the choice becomes our work. Am I going to work to reconcile my will, my flesh, to God or to Satan? And it is a work. It is a, It is hard. It is, it is a lifelong journey, and it's a process that we don't always uh, carry out perfectly to try to reconcile our will to God's will. But that's what our work is. And so... If there's any work at all in salvation, it's trying to reconcile our will to God. And then, if so, grace saves us because we've changed our heart. That's what it means to have the changed heart. And so this tied in with another scripture, which, going back to the naysayers who are the critics of the Book of Mormon, would say, "Ah, those silly Mormons, they think you're saved by your works because of 2 Nephi 11.44, which says this, for we know that it is... By grace, that we are saved after all we can do. His writing, it's the same Nephi and Jacob writing. He's talking about the same thing that was in chapter seven, now is in chapter 11, just four chapters later, where he's saying, We're saved by grace after we reconcile our will to God. That's the after all we can do. That doesn't mean that I have to do everything, yeah, and then yeah. and then that makes the difference, and then Jesus kicks in 1%. I did 99%, and he does 1%. That's
0: not what it means. That's And you are not overstating that verse. I just watched a video this week on YouTube, and it's actually a guy that I greatly respect, and I love the work he's doing, and I love the um, attitude he has in talking to people. But one of his great ministries is to, um, the Mormons in Utah. And he's, uh, he's got, I believe on his staff or he, he's very good at debating. He knows the book, of, uh, he knows not the book of Mormon. He knows the beliefs of those churches. And he just quoted that. And, you know, and he says, you know, he was preaching, he said, you know, we're saved by grace, you know? And then he quotes us. He goes, and it's not like, you know, after all we can do, no, but but that's a misunderstanding, and, and you've brought out like three scriptures now, and this these are so great. These these tie in great with our episode, what is my work, what is God's work? Because submitting to God, yielding to whatever he's going to inflict on you, being reconciled to God, reco- what does it say, reconciling your spirit? Yeah, reconciling,
1: reconciling your, will. your Reconcil- will. Well, it says reconcile yourselves to the will of
0: God mm-hmm. that after you are reconciled to God— that it's
1: only by God that you're saved by His grace.
0: So reconciling your will to get that's right, that's right. amazing because it's the blood of Christ that saves us. Yeah. That's the grace. It's the blood of Christ, Him coming down and dying. His blood is that grace, that salvation. But we have to reconcile our will. And you know, when people hear those words, Corey, like inflict, you know, I wouldn't like, you know, if if my son was getting bad grades in school and messing around all the time, I wouldn't say that I. It's time to go inflict some punishment on my son. I have a purpose in doing so, right? I have a purpose right. in grounding him or in uh, making him feel some pain so that he is coerced into mm-hmm. doing what he needs to do to set him up for success later in life. When God's inflicting or when we feel like God is inflicting pain on us, out of anyone in the world, this supreme... God does not do anything willy-nilly or without purpose, without knowledge, without the only intent and that being that you can become perfect and able to be in his presence so that you can then enjoy his holiness. Yes. And he can't have creatures that are still um wanting to 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 um Wanting to hold on to their will. Can you imagine heaven? If, if, even if you had, even if you had 3% of your will left within you, Corey, and, and the guy next to you in heaven had 2%, and and 98% wanted to submit to God, that 2% would be an unholy place. Right. Right. And we, we, uh, that's got to be all cleared out, and we, but he's not going to do that without our permission, no, and so, and that's but, why
1: everyone has to do it. It's not just like you can say, "Oh, I grew up in a family where they went to church. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read. I didn't want to study, but my parents were good people.
0: No, we all have to
1: decide, you know, Corey, Mike,
0: anyone, I want to do this God mm-hmm. He needs that that bit of our will knocked out of us, and that's why. That's why social justice can be a great lie, because we want to alleviate that. And that's why sometimes, I'm not going to even get on it, but sometimes in our prayer services, we want to alleviate all the suffering. We want to take all that away and pray for all that. And we miss the point of, may this suffering drive me to just give up my will. May I just learn to submit to God, you know, and and use these sufferings to humble me and, and to be open to receive you, Lord. It's just, it's a different way of, of looking at things, you know?
1: It is. And, you know, Mike, I, I know that we, we both know each other well enough that we've both encountered things and are even encountering things as we speak that we couldn't have imagined we would ever have to deal with. I mean, 20, 30 or more years ago, I know we're maybe dating ourselves now, but this the idea that sometimes you think, well, I came to Christ, so therefore it'll only be good. I mean, yeah, the scriptures say, keep the commandments and you'll prosper. I mean, that's true. But the very person, Nephi, you know, who received those words and everyone subsequently after him, he had to fight off his own family because they were at war, you know? So it's like, it's not like he didn't have bad days too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> killing killing cousins. And so this whole thing, I mean, as, as bad as that sounds, I, I love what you said, though, and how you summarize this because Abinadiah, takes all this back to Jesus, and he says, and, and this is where it's one of the most beautiful, it's it's complex, and it's simple, and it's plain, and it's precious, and it's meaningful on many levels, but Abinadi says this when he explains this atonement, when he explains many words of Isaiah, and then he says what it's going to mean. He says, he, he says, I would that you should understand that God himself will come down among the children of men and redeem his people. And because he will dwell in the flesh, he'll be called the son of God. He's, that's why he's going to be called that, because he's He's dwelling in the flesh. But what happens when we have flesh? That means a body, right? When we have a body, we have a will. We have a, There's a spiritual, physical interaction that we don't understand, but our spiritual will is much different more diminished because of our flesh. And and the ancients knew that, um, hmm. but, but, but this is the mystery. And, and I, and I'm saying it's a mystery, but what, what happened is, and the reason, you know, Jesus Christ in the flesh was so much different than us. It says this, because it says he having subjected the flesh to the will of the father. All right. And, and this is the complete will because that's how Jesus is only able to say, Hey, I have overcome he lived in a body to where he never let the will of the body overcome the will of God. And that's the difference between us and God and Jesus. You know, that's that's why
0: we're in this fallen state. And when we go back to the sacrament, when we take that communion, we are to remember the, the ultimate, that that to the ultimate end he submitted his will to the father nevertheless you know nevertheless not my will not my will but thy will be done and 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 the next day you know he's he's on the cross he's, i was just going to
1: say he was led crucified spit on slapped you know had thorns driven into his skull and he didn't ever fight back
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm i is I can't even imagine, can't imagine seeing it or suffering on a cross. But I can't imagine throngs of people just being around you and every one of them mocking you, and just and and in your mind you know that I, I'm not I'm not guilty of what you're saying. I'm not <laughs> yeah, guilty you, of you, what you're saying. Yeah, not only that, but I I created you,
1: <laughs> and to still say. What, forgive them? They forgive don't know what them. they're doing.
0: And that's that's part of I often question that. It's like well what gave it sounds terrible. What how did Jesus stand up there and say, Father, forgive them to people who weren't repenting? Mm. But but yet that's what the Son of God did. He did. He did. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they... You they know. weren't even
1: asking for it, and yet he offered it.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's grace.
1: Yes, it is. But, you know, that that brings up an important point, Mike, that this is one differentiation that I think, it, and it's not just semantics, and it's not just oh, splitting here on a definition, but the difference between salvation you know, being in God's presence, it, it isn't just a matter of forgiveness. It's not just a matter of that, hey, well, God forgave me and he didn't forgive you. No, I think he's willing to forgive all humanity. Right. The, the point is, it's not that, oh, God decided to forgive Mike. He didn't decide to forgive Corey because he's fickle. The whole thing is, no, my choice was, you know, if I'm the one not forgiven, it was because I chose to not want to change. I chose to not want my will to change, Mm -hmm. as we're saying here. And that's the difference because when our will changes, then he says, then by my spirit, you know, you'll have my spirit to be with you. That's how the communion prayer ends. It says, you do these things, you say you're willing to take upon you my name by eating this flesh and this blood symbolically. But he says, and then you'll always have my spirit to be with you. That's the thing that changes. And that's the difference between the saved and the unsaved. Adam runs into this too. We we don't have all of Adam's daily story, but through scripture, God comes and he says, Adam, I forgave you your sin in the garden. And it's like, we don't have a scriptural account of when Adam was even asking to be forgiven of the sin. Now, not that maybe he didn't, but the point is, even though God forgave him, and this is in the earlier part of Genesis, Genesis in the inspired version, when that transaction happens, It's not like God says, okay, the flaming swords are being doused and the angels are opening the gates back to the Garden of Eden. Come back home now, now that I forgave you. He didn't let them back in the Garden of Eden, is my point, even though he said, I've forgiven you of your sin. And so it's like the point was it wasn't just we needed to be forgiven to come back into presence. There had to be the atonement. There had to be the payment to be able to blot out the sin, to make us, white, you know, to take Mm -hmm. our, our garments that have been stained with our own sin and make them pure white. And, and, and it couldn't. So, so there's the difference. It's not just, oh, well, God just needs to forgive us. No, there had to be an infinite and eternal sacrifice and only he could do it. And it only applies for what the scriptures say, the penitent, another beautiful verse that just, I was like, it can't be more clear than this. It says, and I think we texted this during the week that either you will have justice applied or you have mercy applied but either way a righteous judgment is applied but it's one hand or the other and and it's because of our of our willingness to to give in our will
0: when i i've always looked at the communion or the sacrament service as in that you're willing to remember him and you'll always have his spirit to be with you and and so i always have looked at it like okay, I'm remembering you, God, and, I'm, and again, I'm waiting. I'm ready for this warm glow, for this warm, fuzzy spirit enveloping me that just gives me—I feel just great every day, and I'm walking in the spirit, and I just feel this great love. But, but as we're talking today, I see when we partake of the sacrament, we're remembering that we may have a spirit to be with us. We're remembering that— um, we have to be willing to submit because we're looking at the the we're looking at the sin of humanity and what it did. Mm-hmm. It spilt the blood of Christ. You know, his flesh was sacrificed for us. Mm-hmm. His blood, he became flesh and blood, and he submitted his flesh and blood to the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. And so when we reach out and take that flesh and that blood and symbolism of him. We're remembering, I, Lord, am willing to submit to you all the way to the end, just like Jesus did. Even if you slay me, I will trust in you. As Job said, I'm willing to submit to you. I'm willing to, uh, to have you inflict on me whatever you need to so that all I want to do is choose you, you know, that I get to that point. Because even as we try to choose that, that's the miracle and that's the mystery of God you know, he says you have to be willing to submit to allow me to inflict on you. And that's your choice, but it's like, but he does everything he can to coerce us to make the right choice. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. we, we're enemies to him. Yeah. It's not yeah. natural yeah. for us to allow that to happen. Right. And that's why the mists of darkness—they're not there just for God to sit back and well, wow, watch all these people walk through this trial. I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> are they going to wander off? Or are they going to stay? You know, placing bets on who's going to make. It's not like that. No, it's, that's why it gives us
1: a rod of iron. Yeah. Hold on to this bar.
0: There is a purpose, a divine purpose, and a great blessing at the end. But it has to be the way. He, I mean, otherwise, He wouldn't have put a mist of darkness there. That's right. That's right. But it has to be the, the only way to partake of the fruit. Is to go through the darkness. You have to go through it, and we say, "Well, why?" We we don't get to ask that question. We're just that's beyond us. That's mm-hmm. beyond us. I don't know, God, why this was the way you chose, but in your providence and in your omnipotence, I trust that you know better than me. Just like you know, just like our own kids. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, Alma makes an, uh, so many amazing points when he's explaining. All this to his sons, and and he's he brings it all the way back to this fact that there was a law given, and if there wasn't a law given, you know, for instance, no one would be afraid to commit a sin, and if if there if people weren't afraid to give sin, and there wasn't any laws, what would justice or mercy have to do? There, there's no justice, there's no mercy if there's no laws and there's no sin, but then they wouldn't have any application. But he says, but because there's a law given, you know, it's kind of like, you're going to have a reward, but there's going to be a mist of darkness, you know? And it's like, it's the balance in all things. Can't
0: give you a reward without the darkness. No, exactly. Yeah. That's what it means. There know? must be an opposition in all things. Yeah,
1: where where is that said? That yeah. is in
0: some book somewhere. <laughs> Man, must, it must be one of those cult books or something. Hey, Cor, <laughs> I was going to ask you, at one point you brought something up, and we didn't get into it very, but it has to go along with the communion. You were talking about blood and bone. Oh, my gosh. So this is, um, how much time do we have? We're uh,
1: let's wrap up with this. Cause we're almost there. So, um, well, two things, the, the, the blood and, and the bone, um, gosh, er, everything, it just, it starts to make sense. Little puzzle pieces fall in place. Um, so when, when Adam is in the garden and the sleep comes over him and, you know, God simulates death really and takes from his side, a rib and fashions a woman and he says, Hey, now I know this is, um, you know, flesh, in my flesh, bone, in my bones. What's, what's interesting is that Jesus is on the cross. The very last thing they said before when he died, they said they put a spear in his side. And, and what does it say? The scriptures give this weird description. That, oh, blood and water came out. You
0: know? Blood and water.
1: Blood, yeah. Isn't that, isn't ah. that weird? Well, what's kind of interesting is that all this ties back into one, one idea. And, and one of them, he kind of started at any point. You know, when we when when that woman was formed from Adam, you know, that was the symbolic of of the church. When Adam laid down to to be asleep, that was his spiritual death. He was a type for Jesus. And and this woman who wasn't made from any other part of the creation, but made from him, is a type for the church. We only have life as the church because of his life for us, right? And what's interesting is that we can only come to him when we make a covenant. What do we do? We make our covenant by his death, but what do we do? We, we are baptized in water, right? You know, there's a symbol. His part of the deal was he gave his blood, right? You know, there's this connection Mm of the the, the very thing that came from his side that makes the church, the church is in the end, the symbol of, and this is how you find this life through the water, through our covenant and through his covenant, through his death for us, but at the same time, when we partake of communion, um, you know it's called His flesh and blood. Well, what's interesting is that, you know, if the if the wine represents the blood and the and the bread represents the the flesh, the body, it takes the body, it takes the bones specifically to make blood. That's where the blood is generated in in a body, and and the body can't live without the blood, and and the blood can't do anything without the body, and so one makes the other but the other completes the first and and they both represent both together the whole or the unity the life you know the the body and the blood they they're one and this comes back together with Jesus as the bride and the or as the groom and the, and the in the church being the bride and the two are separate and they come back as one just like heaven and in, in the hebrew was the masculine and and the earth was the feminine and the two come mm. together as as one but in the communion, the, the symbol of oneness is represented by, by everything that gives life, you know, the the, the body and the blood, it, it was one. And, and in his death, everything that happens in this, in this final moment represents once again that same place where the where the church was born from is now the same place that is the last vestige of Jesus' life where it's like, okay, this finishes it, boom. But now here is the symbol of how you come to me, you know, through my blood and,
0: and through your covenant. I never thought, <laughs> I never thought when we started today, but you know, when we did that episode, my work, your work, I never thought of that being perfectly demonstrated in the fact that the blood and the water. I've, re- I've read that before because I've seen injuries in the ER. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I've in- seen. I don't know that I've ever seen water pour out of. I wouldn't call it. Anyway, the blood and the water came out of him. You know that's that's we're saved by his blood, yep. by his laying down his will to the Father, and we are saved by our work of being baptized or agreeing to be baptized, which all symbolizes, symbolizes our will changing, up our. It should symbolize us giving up our will. Yes, to know him. Yes. Yes. And, and being buried and resurrected out of the water. It says it washes away our sins, and that takes place if you're willing to um, give up your will to him. You know, I've seen the Christian walk just from this episode today, Corey, from a different perspective. You know, I will. Um, we can wrap up. I won't, if you have anything else, I just have one thought. No, go ahead. Well, um, I was watching a um, video this week. Um, about a minister on TV, and um, he said he used to be a drug addict, and uh, he ended up starting this church and uh, ministering to people with those addictions. And he said, once I started that church, I had more pills in my hands than I ever did. People would bring him their drugs, and there was always accountability and people around. And one day this lady just tossed him a bag of pills, and it was the kind that he was used to be addicted to and he said let me tell you this i didn't for one second have a temptation to take those pills and hide them no one would have known mm. and he said because i've learned and i came to a place in my life where i just didn't stop doing drugs but i wanted the intimacy and the fellowship of god and jesus mm. christ in his spirit and when that became the most lovely thing to me i don't want to do anything to ruin that wow and that's where we're all headed is That's the goal of submitting to him, I believe. Wow. Beautiful. Until
1: next time, brother. Hey, just keep walking each other home.
0: Absolutely. You know, I'm going to play the entire song of Save Me uh, that I wrote. I still remember that day um, being in that, that place where... You know, I was just in love with this girl. I was sure it wasn't going to work out, and, and like I said, I'm going to have to see her every day at work, and I'm going to have to quit my job and go somewhere else, and just there was no way this was going to turn out with a happy ending, but you know what? It did. It did, and I can remember the day I wrote this song and those feelings, but they faded away in the joy of our relationship, and and we've been happily married for 13 years Sometimes songs we write in in relationships, you know, they also fit our relationships with the Lord to some degree. And we are in that mist of darkness, you know. Sometimes we get a glimpse of that fruit and we want to eat more. Sometimes we just wonder, why are we suffering? Why is this so hard? But it's not unexpected. God tells us part of the story is walking through those mists of darkness, suffering, suffering. being chastened by a loving Heavenly Father until that day when we can completely submit our will to Him. It feels like we can't go on, and yet we know there's nowhere else left to go because He is the only way. So I hope you enjoy this song. Uh, Press on, my friends. May we continue to walk each other home and realize and remember that our God is mighty to save, and one day He will truly wipe away every tear as he ushers us into his kingdom. God bless.
2: I can't eat, I can't sleep, my head is spinning, I'm into. you hey.